together and read Genesis chapter 19, verse number 17, one verse. I'm going to continue a theme that was mentioned this morning. Abraham, as he is communing with God, and he is at the door of his tent, and the Lord comes by, and he serves them. There's a conversation that occurs before God leaves, and it is about Sodom. And so Genesis chapter 19, verse 17 kind of picks that up. And it says, and it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And I want to preach just for a few moments here tonight. Run to the hills. Run to the hills. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, run for the hills. Run, 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 run for the hills. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. You can be seated. God bless you. Amen. What does it mean when the Bible talks about the world? World. World. What does it mean when the Bible talks about the world? There are different definitions to this word. And I want to just look at this for a moment because this is very, very important. There are different definitions of what the world is in the scripture. There is the physical reality of the world. For in John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God loved the world. It's not viewed in a negative connotation. It is viewed as a thing to be redeemed. We know from the scripture that John says the light came into the world. There was darkness, but there was a light that came into the world. John chapter 1 and verse number 9, later in the Gospel of John, John describes childbirth and the anguish that occurs in childbirth. But a mother with a new baby that is born into the world soon forgets because of that, that birth that is born into the world. John chapter 16 and verse 21. There's also a definition of the world as a realized eschatology. When we talk about eschatology, we're talking about the study of last things. And John reveals to us that there is an expectation that we should look for the last things. But God, in his power and in his ability, pulls from what we're looking for into the present. And Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So there are some things in the world that you can participate in and that can be a blessing to you and that you can enjoy. There are things that take place in this world that we can, we can find ourselves with a measure of joy because God has put it 
in the world for us to appreciate. This is not a gloomy nor depreciating view of the world. It's because if I've got the Holy Ghost and God is with me, then in this present world, there are some things that I can enjoy. Ultimately, I'm looking for something greater. But in the present, I'm thankful for God's blessing and God's anointing in my life, and I enjoy that. I enjoy the company of you. I enjoy the company of others. I enjoy all of these new babies that are being born. I enjoy food and different kinds of food. I enjoy, there's a lot of things in this, this earth that you can enjoy that are godly things. Now, that's different than ungodly things, but godly things when we get together and we fellowship and there's ministry that is involved. These are things that Jesus meant when he said, I am come that you have, might have life and you might have life more abundantly. Listen, we don't need to hang our heads as if somehow we are missing out on something because everybody in the world supposedly has all the fun. No, we know and recognize that if the Holy Ghost is around, there's going to be a Holy Ghost party because God is good and God is joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And the next morning, I'm going to have peace and I'm going to recognize it. It's a new day and I'm going to enjoy the blessings of God. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and thank the Lord together. God gives, to, gives that to us, a promise to us. Amen. So there, there's a definition of the world that is talking about the physical world and talking about the world not in a negative sense, but the world in a positive sense that God so loves that he died for it and seeks to redeem it from its fallenness and its decay. So you can be in the world and enjoy some things in the world according to that definition. It's not gloomy and it's not a depreciating view of the world. However, in John chapter 17 and verse number 14, Jesus was speaking to the disciples and he said, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. And so now there is a different definition that must be placed upon this world and this term. There is positive connotations that are connected, but there are also negative connotations attached to the world. And so that definition means that it is a realm of unbelief. It is a rejection of God in Christ. John chapter 12, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And so if we're defining the world in those terms, it is a negative understanding. It is a depreciating understanding of the word. It's a way of being or living in opposition to what God is wanting to do. It is following a delusion. It is seeking out after a distorted understanding, an inauthentic way of living, a phony way of 
living. I want to say here tonight emphatically that when you're living for God, you are living in what is true reality. Praise God. If you're on the outside of living for God, you're in dysfunction and decay. And I don't care how the world tries to market it. It's a lie. It is not real. But if you're in the house of God and the Holy Ghost has come upon you and in you and through you, then you are living in what is reality. Reality is worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Reality is the anointing of God that we have felt in this building here tonight. Reality is that he's a mighty God that is worthy of praise. Hallelujah. The illusion is what happens out there, but in here there is reality. Hallelujah. Somebody thank the Lord together. Jesus said, I am am the way, the truth, and the life versus an illusion. If Jesus is the light, then the world is darkness, and the ruler of the world is darkness. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world lieth in wickedness. So the world, as defined by the second understanding, is a very good reason to avoid, to flee to the hills, to make sure that it does not taint me, to make sure the garments of righteousness that I am wearing are not tainted by a system or by a rule of unbelief that is going to keep me from the blessings and benefits of God. If you're in this place tonight and the world is dragging you down, you need to flee to the hills because there is a predator that is trying to assassinate you and kill you and destroy your spiritual life. You need to run, 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 run and get away from the world and the attitude of the world and the spirit of the world and the wickedness of the world. Run, run, run to the hills. Praise God. You may be a guest here tonight. You may be thinking, that guy's lost his ever-loving mind. Listen to me. I haven't lost my mind because I have seen what sin does. It Hello, it drives a person to the very lowest depths of humanity. It drives people to confusion and dysfunction and all kinds of hell on earth. Thanks be to God that there's a God that loved the world and recognized there's somebody in the world that is worth redeeming. And if you're in this place tonight, God loves you enough to die for you. While you were even a sinner, he died for you and gave gave to you the ability in this place to lift your hands and praise him. Praise God, praise God, praise God. The world is that system or that rule that operates in the realm of unbelief whose ultimate end 
is spiritual and physical destruction. <laughs> that definition and that world and that wickedness will destroy you spiritually and physically. Praise God. Do I have a witness in the house here tonight? Is there anybody that would say, okay, I see where you're going. I understand there's some good things in, the, in this life and good things in the world, but there are also some things that will tear you up and eat you alive. And I, I've been privy to some of that stuff, and I've got myself involved in some of that stuff. But, but thank God there's a God of mercy. Praise God. If there's, if, if, if there's an influence of the world in your life, you need to flee. You need to run to the highest hill and say, there is no way that the world is going to catch up with me. I'm not looking to the left and looking to the right, and I certainly, I'm not looking behind me, but I'm looking ahead woo, to the author uh, and the finisher of my faith. I don't want to be tainted by that spirit. I don't want to be tainted by that attitude. I want the Holy Ghost to operate in my life. Praise God. You better run. You better run from that world. You better run from that world. You better run for the hills. John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He's not talking about, he's, he's, he's not talking about, uh, not talking about Firestone tri-tip sandwiches. He's, he's, he's talking about the rule of the world. Don't love the things that are in the world because those things will draw you away from God. And if it draws you away from God, it's the spirit of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, there it is. It's defined for us. What what is the world that has a negative connotation? It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. And it is the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's an eternal component to our worship in this place tonight. Eternity is in the balance for every person that is in this place tonight tonight. If you succumb to the world, you will lose your soul. If you walk closer to Jesus, you will be strengthened in an eternity that goes beyond just this physical world into eternity. But if the world captivates your attention and if the world captivates your mind, it can destroy you. I don't want anything to do with world. I don't want to look like the world. I want the Holy Ghost in my life. I don't want to act like the world. I don't want to get close to the world. I don't want to be influenced by the world. I want God to direct me. I want the Holy Ghost to clothe me on the inside and on the outside. Praise God. You better run for the hills. You 
need to be like a gazelle when the lion shows up. And there's a, real, a realization that a predator has come upon the scene. You can't just wander around blindly without recognizing there's one that's trying to eat me for lunch. But I'm going to run, 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 run. <laughs> I'm going, David said, I feel, like, I feel like running through a troop and jumping over a wall. I'm running away from the influences that would so try to destroy. Now look at this context of this verse because that's where we're getting our text and our title here tonight. Because the angels that appeared to Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. They said to him, you need to escape for your life. Look not behind you, neither stay thou in the plain, but escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. We know that Abraham and Lot were together. They were following the promise of God. And their herds and their flocks and their tents and their servants grew to such a capacity that they had to make a separation. And so Abraham said, look, we don't need to cause problems or fight among one another, and so let's separate. You, you take what you want, and I'll, I'll take the other side. And so Lot looked, and when he looked, he saw the plains of Jordan. And I've been there, so I can kind of understand geographically what's going on there. If you're, if you're on the Canaan side, you're up on a hill, and you're near Jerusalem, and everything to the west of that is Canaan land. It's, it's rather rocky. And a lot of boulders, a lot of dust. It seems like a desert, and so it's very difficult. I even had the opportunity to go to Abraham's well and looked around and saw how much water was of a, a value and why wells meant something and why Abraham dug wells and the Philistines tried to bury the wells and then Isaac came along and had to redig the wells because it's a very arid and rocky territory. But when you look to the east, if you're elevated enough, you can see down below there is a river that runs. It's not a big river. It's, uh, it's kind of like Kern River-like. It's not huge, but it runs through that crevice that goes right through that valley. And, and that river and on the other side is the Jordan Valley. And so Lot looked at that Jordan Valley, and he recognized this would be a whole lot easier than, than my flocks being in the rocks and what have you. And so he takes the plains of Jordan, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah was a city that was reflective of the world because the Bible says that it vexed his righteous soul daily. He was in that city and he was a righteous man. But because every single day there was a pull and there was an influence of the world upon him. God, when he is talking to Abraham, he refers to Sodom as being in grievous sin. Grievous sin in Sodom. Lot is standing at the gate when he sees these men coming in, and he invites them in, and he invites them to his house. They tell him, now, nah, we'll just we'll kind of stay out here, and we'll stay in the center of the city, and he recognizes, you can't do that. You have to come in and be a guest in my house, and so he brings them into his house. While they are in the house and he is trying to serve them and be a servant to them, the men of the city gather around his house intent upon rape and they ask Lot to send the men, not knowing that those were two angels, send those men out 
into our purview or our influence so that we may know them. They were intent upon rape and lot because his soul was grievously vexed, found himself trying to give his daughters to that mob. Everybody that's reading the story, when, he's, when we see Lot going to give up his virgin daughters to a mob because he wants to protect the guests, every single one of us in the building would be saying, run, run, run. You've gotten too close to this place. You need to get out of here. It is influencing you to the point where you can't even make proper decisions. Your mentality, your mind, you're not thinking right. Because you've been vexed with this city and the attitude of this city and the influence of this city. And Lot finds himself bargaining with them. The men try to break down the door and the angels blind them so that they're scrabbling around trying to figure out what they are doing. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the the world is enmity with God. It's an enemy against God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The angels said to Lot, you've got to get out of this city. you got to go tell your son-in-laws that have married other daughters. It's time for us to get out of this place. His son-in-laws laughed at him to scorn. And so he barely got out of there with himself, his wife, and his two daughters. And the message was, you got to run. You got to run to the hills. Don't look left, right. Don't look behind you, but run to safety. You got to get out of this environment. I'm preaching to you. We may be in the world, but we are not of this world. You you can't get too close to the world. I don't have time to describe and define everything. But you know what I'm talking about because you've been listening to stuff that you know influences you. You've been watching stuff that is too close to the world. I'm stepping into this pulpit to be a preacher tonight and tell you, you need to run. Run for the hills. Your soul is at stake. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, where in time past you walked according to the course, the attitude of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There's a predator out there. I said there's a predator out there. In every ecosystem, there is a predator. There's a predator out there. I want to preach faith into somebody's heart and life tonight. If you're, if you're involved in an occupation that is so closely attached to the world, 
world and its rule and its system and its influence, I want to let you know that God will take care of you if you make a decision to say, I'm, I'm walking away from that because my soul is more important than my occupation. My soul is more important than my education. My soul is more important than that relationship. I've got to be saved. And thank God there is somebody, there's an angel that is telling somebody, run, run, run to the hills. Every ecological system has a predator. There's a lion out there. There's a wolf out there. There's sharks in those waters. There's crocodiles that are waiting for you to cross over. There's a bear out there. There's wild dogs. The psalmist said, save my darling or save my life from the wild dogs. Mm. And if animals are not enough, Paul said at Ephesus, I had to fight with the beasts at Ephesus. He wasn't talking about animals. He was talking about people because some of the greatest predators in all the world are not animals. People kill more people than predators kill people. <laughs> Praise God. We need a revival in our world. We need a revival in our world. I want you to listen real close to me. You need to read. Now, I don't get into politics much, and I, and I, I preach. Politics needs to stay out there at the door. If that's your opinion, have your opinion and talk about it. But when we come in the house of God, we need to make sure that we're centered in the word of God and not all of that other stuff. Otherwise, we're going to work against each other. But I can't help it because it's in the scripture. The scripture says the law is for the lawless. The reason why you have law and order is so that people who are not going to abide by the law will have to follow the law. If you take down the law, then you're going to have a bunch of chaos and confusion that we're seeing in our world right now. Deep defund the police. In all of these places, the crime rate has skyrocketed. Murders have shot sky high. Burglaries and all kinds of crime and infestation has taken place. You know why? Because people are not redeemed people. And if there is nothing to stop them, they're going to maim, pillage, murder, rape, and destroy. The only way that you can get rid of all the police is if everybody's full of the Holy Ghost and treats their neighbor like them himself and loves God first. There's a predator out there. Be careful. Your soul is too important. Then walk aimlessly around the Serengeti Desert as if there's not a lion trying to kill you and trying to destroy you. You've got life and you've got value. You can't let something sneak up on you, trap you. You've got to run. You got to run to the hills, run to the hills. And that's designed to create a balance in the system. We have a predator. For 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The predator in the system is to create a balance. 
and everybody in the system knows that the predator is there. If you take the predator out of the ecosystem, you're going to create all kinds of chaos because then there's going to be an overpopulation of some things because there's no predator. And it will destroy the ecosystem. And this happens when humanity tries to play around with ecosystems. In this walk with God that we're living, there is a predator that wants to destroy you. He is a lion. He is like a lion. He's like a lion. And he is trying to find your weak spot, trying to leverage your weakness. Praise God. You can't just, <laughs> you can't wander around as if it's no big deal and there's no problem and it's okay. You need to be looking spiritually. You need to be looking everywhere you go and making sure you're in the right place and you're doing the right things. Paul said it's high time to awake and come out of sleep because God is coming and we've got to be sensitive to his word and we can't be shipwrecks like some who have fallen away, fallen away, fallen away. You can't fall away. you got to have revival in your life. Praise God. I'm here to preach to you. You got to run or the predator is going to come and destroy you. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 neither give place to the devil. Revelation 12 verse 9 and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. There is a there's a predator The world is a predator. You got to protect yourself against the world. You got to protect your family against the world. Amen. You got to run. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Praise God. Now, I wouldn't just leave you with running to the hills. Because just running <laughs> is not your only posture. But you need to run to high ground. Amen. You're running to the hills. You're running to high ground. Why, why, would, you, why would you run to high ground? Well, high ground is an area of elevated terrain which can be useful in combat. <laughs> the military importance of the high ground has been recognized for over 2,000 years, going all the way back to ancient China and other early dynastic cultures who regularly engaged in territorial power struggles. Later, it was incorporated to be advantageous in architectural design, such as castles and fortresses which included towers and walls that were designed to provide structural advantages for positions of troops and weaponry, which could be thrown or fired from above. I'm, I'm, I'm not just running to be running, but I'm running to a rock that is higher than I. And when I get there, I, 
when I get there, something amazing is going to happen. Because when I get to the chief cornerstone and I'm running away from the world and the things that would drag me down and I get to the high place of the anointing and the king of kings, praise God, the high place, which really emphatically is the cross. There's power in the high place. And the power that is in the high place allows me to be a conqueror that is able to combat every single weapon and attack that the enemy tries to force upon me. I'm going to high ground. I'm running, but I'm not just running anywhere. I'm going to the high place. I'm going to the cross where Calvary brings power and strength. Think about it. Think about it. Sun Tzu, in his book, The Art of War, advised military leaders to take high ground and let the enemy try to attack from a lower position. Ooh, that's really, really good because some of y'all, you're trying to fight the devil in the lower positions. You're not going to get anywhere trying to fight the devil on his turf with his weaponry and his strategies. Praise God. You, you, you got to get to higher ground and say the battle is not mine, but it's the Lord's. My battle down here is a mess. But things change when I get in the elevated position. Be because this is the Lord's battle. Who's on the Lord's side? Let him come and go with me. When you're on the Lord's side, he'll lead you out of Egypt. When you're on the Lord's side, he'll take you across the Red Sea and drown Pharaoh's army. When you're on the Lord's side, oh, is anybody hearing what I'm having to say here tonight? When you're on the Lord's side, the walls of Jericho have to come down. Down because you're not fighting on the same level. You're in an elevated position. Come on, you need to let the Holy Ghost, you need to let God direct you. You need to let the Lord fight your battles and not yourself. Not your own selfishness. You better run. You better run to the hills because you don't have the power. You don't have the ability. You're focusing things from a carnal nature and, and not a spiritual attitude. You need to get yourself to the cross and say, God, I'm come here because I need an elevated position to help me with my present circumstances. When you're fighting and discussing and arguing things down below with the same level as the enemy, that's ridiculous. You got to get to the cross and when you get to the cross you see things differently and you're able to see from the right vantage point to realize God loves you he puts you where you are you can't abandon that you gotta let God you gotta let God continue his work and his plan he's got a purpose and a destiny for you please to the hills. There's some really good reasons in Sun Tzu's art of war. Fighting from an elevated position is said to be easier for a number of tactical reasons. 
Holding the high ground offers an elevated vantage point with a wide field of view that gives you the ability to surveil the surrounding landscape in contrast to the valleys, which only give you a limited, limited field of view. Oh, you're in a struggle here tonight. But if you're in a struggle and you're trying to fight in the valley, it's not going to work well for you. But if you can get into an elevated position. <laughs> Additionally, soldiers fighting uphill are assumed to tire more quickly. And they move more slowly when compared to soldiers fighting downhill who do not have to struggle against the forces of gravity alongside the natural obstacles of the terrain. Furthermore, soldiers who are elevated above their enemies can use and have greater range of low-speed projectiles such as rocks and javelins and spears and arrows and grenades, etc. Whereas low-speed projectiles have a shorter range when you try to throw them up the hill. <laughs> Praise God. I'm preaching to somebody. You're trying to throw stuff uphill. It doesn't work as well as looking down and saying, God, I'm going to launch a spiritual attack down here on my situation problem and the enemy of my soul because I am in an elevated high position. I'm talking about the cross when I'm talking about the high place. Amen. If you if you can get up into the realm of where the cross is, you can be more than an overcomer. Just as a side note here, just as a side note, some might find this interesting, but the Soviets during the Cold War could not take Afghanistan. They tried. They tried. And the reason why they couldn't is because they couldn't get their weaponry and their tanks and everything else up into the hills. And so the Mujahideen had the ability to look down and hide. And so they tried to use helicopters. And they used helicopters. But then the United States of America, we gave the Mujahideen the FIM-92 Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, which gave them greater defense in the mountains. And they were able to defeat a superpower with guerrilla warfare against the Soviets without being wiped out. Now, I must say this because this is important, and I, to be fair, there are instances in which the high ground is not necessarily the best case, and that is when you are in a place where your supplies can be cut off. Because if your supplies are caught off and there's no water and you can't get sustenance, then you're going to suffer a humiliating defeat over time. Amen. But I would like to say this, since we're talking about spiritual things, that if you're in the high place and you're at Calvary and the cross, then that also is representative of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus said there is a well that springs up into everlasting life. So the enemy can surround you all you want when you're in the high place. <laughs> You've got plenty of sustenance because God gives you the ability to draw from wells of salvation. I'm just going to keep drawing here. I've got an elevated plane. I'm not on the same level because God has given me the ability. I'm running away from the system of the world, the rule of the world, the realm of unbelief, and I'm running to higher ground. Anybody thankful that you're not in this place defenseless? You're supposed to run from those things that will destroy you. But when you get to the cross, he gives you power 
more an ability that you can say, I am more than a conqueror. I want to say to somebody here tonight, you may not feel like a conqueror, but I'm telling you that the scripture says that if you're in the right place, you're more than a conqueror. You can overcome. You, you can do it. Hallelujah. You can make it. Run from the things that would destroy you and let God equip you with power. Praise God. I'm almost finished here tonight. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. And there came a voice from heaven saying, I both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people that stood by heard it, said that it thundered. And others said an angel spoke to him. And Jesus said, the voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Mm, and here it is. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. What is he talking about? Being lifted up. We like to use that verse, and we like to use it because it resonates with worship, right? Come on, folks, let's praise God because when we praise God, he said, if I would be lifted up, I'll draw all people unto me. Jesus was not necessarily talking about praise and worship, although it's okay. But he was talking about Calvary and the cross. If I am lifted up, I'm going to draw everybody unto me because there is power in the cross. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. You were healed through the power of Calvary. When he was lifted up on Calvary in the high place, he healed you. You know what I'm doing? I'm running to Calvary. I'm running away. The world may have injured me and damaged me, and I may be trying my very best to get there. I'm running as fast as I can, but when I get to Calvary, there's a healing that takes place. There's, there is a healing. There's a renewing that takes place. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. As the musicians come tonight, run away from the system of the world and run to high ground. Things change when you get in high ground. You're not running away out of fear. You're running to the power of the Lamb, and you're running to the cross in order to conquer. Oh, I wish I had somebody who was hearing me tonight. Maybe I'll say it this way. Is anybody hearing me tonight? Praise God. You got to get away from the things that'll drag you down and you got to get to the cross because there's power in the cross. You can't, you can't fight and make it down there on your own. But if you can get to Calvary, His blood, his power, his ability, his strength. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. I know I'm, I know I'm walking in the Holy Ghost tonight. I know there's situations here tonight. I know, I know, I know, I know. Let's pray right now. Lord, I thank you and praise you. Hallelujah. I worship you. Praise God. I'm running to you. I'm running to you. I'm running to the elevated position, to the high place. I'm running to the power and the authority.
of the cross that conquers death, hell, and the grave. There is no enemy that can overcome the work of Calvary. There is no devil that can destroy blood that was shed that is still effective even today. There is no spirit that can overcome the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. There is a conquering ability that takes place. There is no grave that can conquer. There is no hell that can destroy because there's a God. Oh, I feel a deep move of the Holy Ghost. Come on, saints of God, you can't fight down there in the devil's business. You can't fight on lower elevation. You need to run from the lower elevation. Get to a higher plane. Revelation chapter 5, it's a short chapter. It says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the back side it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed, prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereon. I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth and he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne and when he had taken the book the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of the saints every prayer that you pray is stored in a vial that goes before God we need to stand to our feet right now at this moment in recognition that God hears every prayer and petition that you pray and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Praise God. Sing the last choir song. The last choir song. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us God kings and priests and we shall reign on them. God, what has he done?
when I've run away from the weak and beggarly elements of the world, God raises me up to be a king and priest to reign with him. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and them that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and the lamb forever and ever and they fell down and they worshiped him when you run to the high place you're running to the one that's worthy, who has received power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I'm preaching to you tonight. You need to run. Run to the hills, to the elevated place where there is at Calvary. There is wisdom and there is power and there is riches and there is strength and there is honor and there is glory and there is blessing. Anybody want the blessing of God in this place tonight? Well, in order to get there, you got to run to the high place where Calvary reigns supreme. Not the weak and the beggarly elements of the world. Not on a level playing field. But God, I'm running away from all of that. Elevate me to the place that you can bring strength and anointing to me. Amen. As we lift our hands in this place tonight, I'm reaching for somebody in this house. The world has brought a certain taint on you. The world has brought a certain influence on you. There is a God. There is a God. 